0: Well, once again, Cedar Street Baptist Church, I love you so very much, and happy Easter. I certainly hope the Easter bunny has been good to you. He's been good to us this year. Can't wait to break out the sidewalk chalk with my baby girl a little bit later this afternoon. Uh, But I'm so grateful that you're here in God's house as we worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we remember what Easter morning is all about. You know, this morning, uh, most of you may know this, but I—the uh, parsonage that Ashley and I live in—is right behind the Guido Gardens, probably my favorite spot in all the world. And uh, as I was driving past the gardens this morning on the way to church, I kind of peeked over to my left and just took a real quick glance at the tomb of Christ. And guess what I noticed? It's still empty, because He is risen. He is risen indeed. And you know, I thought about it this weekend. Of course, yesterday, another one of my favorite events of the year is the Bloomin' Festival. I mean, I just love living in this community. I have since the day I showed up here in 2009. And uh, I also love the spring. It's my favorite season of the year. And I used to think that was because of baseball. Most of you know that was my former career prior to ministry was in sports casting, And I used to just think about springtime as breaking out the cleats and the bats and the smell of the grass and the sunflower seeds and... Uh, you know what? I do love baseball, but I realize that's not why I love the spring. And not just because your Braves put a 15-2 pounding on my Phillies last night either. <laughs> no clapping, no clapping. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> I love the spring, and I think about this more now than I ever have, because it is a beautiful portrait of the good news of Jesus Christ. The spring is a season where dead things come to life again. As I walk around uh, in the spring here in Candler County, if you can get past the pollen, I see azaleas that are coming back to full bloom. I hear birds chirping I haven't heard in an awful long time. And I feel the warmth and I see the light of a sun that is staying up in the sky just a little bit longer. I love the spring because dead things come to life. So it should be no surprise that of all seasons that we could celebrate Easter, God preordained that we would celebrate Easter in the spring because Easter is a season where we celebrate dead things that come to life. We celebrate our Lord who was put to death and once again came to life so that we who are dead in our sins could live and live eternally. As we... uh, take a look today at the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to be speaking on three specific aspects of what I love most about Easter. And those three aspects are this. The title of the message gives it away. It's the curtain, the Christ, and the cross. The curtain, the Christ, and the cross. What I hope to do as we walk through one passage, I'm actually going to focus in on just one verse. And in one verse, what I hope to do is take the hope of the resurrection and plant it deep within your heart that we would know who Jesus is, why Jesus did what he did for us, and what our response should be as followers of Jesus Christ, how we can have this hope that God has given us. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. If you don't, grab the pew Bible in front of you. Grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 992 in your pew Bible. And if you would bear with me and stand at this time, just one last time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to be reading verses 45 through 54, and then I'm going to zero our focus on just one verse, verse 51. This is God's word to us, starting in verse 45 of Matthew chapter 27. Hear God's word. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, verse 51, this is what we're going to focus on. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs and the tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again we love You. We thank You and praise You. Father, we... It's impossible to get to the depth of what this Easter Sunday means. It is, is the very root and core of our faith that we serve a Savior who is perfect. We serve a Savior who died sacrificially. We, say, we serve a Savior who was raised supernaturally and who has ascended heavenly, looking down upon us as our high priest, believing one day that he will return and all things will be made new. So, Father, I pray in the moments that we have left, we would consider what it means when the Scriptures teach us about the curtain, the Christ, and the cross. Father, help us. Let all the words, honor, and glory be yours. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Just, just three terms today. Just three. The curtain, the Christ, and the cross. In fact, the one verse that I want to hone in on, verse 51 that we just read, it says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I don't know about you, but when I was raised, uh, certainly I was not raised in a Christian home. We were nominal Catholics. I went to church maybe three or four times a year. I heard about Jesus, didn't really know much about him. I did hear about the Trinity. It was a big mystery to me. But when I thought of Easter, I thought of Jesus dying on a cross. And I did think three days later about Jesus coming out of the tomb. But I never thought about some of these details in between. And specifically, I never thought about this idea of a curtain being torn. And now I wish I had. Because when this, tur- this curtain is torn, it is one of the most significant things that could ever happen. And when we read the Gospels, many times we just blow right past this. So what I want to do in the time we have left is slow down, take a really deep breath and a strong look at what it means that the temple curtain was torn in two. So I want to look at three aspects, and of course, number one, let's look at the curtain. All right, the curtain, separation of God and man. To understand this, we got to go all the way back to Genesis. All right, so I want you to take a deep breath, and I want you to think about What you understand about the book of Genesis, if you've never read the Bible, let me share it with you. The book of Genesis teaches us how we got here and why we are here. It teaches us that God created the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh, but before he took that rest, at the end of the sixth day, what God did was create human beings and they were set apart from every other creature in the world because the Bible says we were created in the image of God. That means that we were created to be like God, to be a reflection of God and to have an eternal relationship with God. And we have this beautiful portrait in Genesis chapter 1 where God creates Adam out of the dust of the earth and then he creates Eve out of the rib of Adam. And through Adam and Eve, we see human beings walking in a garden with God. In fact, it says in Genesis that God walked with them in the cool of the day. Human beings had a relationship a personal, deep, abiding relationship with God. It was the reason that you and I were put on this earth. You have oxygen in your lungs that were given to you by a creator who loves you and desires to have an eternal relationship with you. So why is it so hard? Why does God feel like he's a million miles away? Why do human beings struggle to have a relationship with God? The answer to that is a little further down in Genesis, in chapter 3. Most of you know the story the fall of mankind through the sin of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were given everything they could possibly want, they were given the authority to name all the animals to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and to have everything they could ever want. God just called them to love him and be obedient to his commands. And one of the commands that that God gave to Adam and Eve is you can eat from any tree in this garden, but you may not eat of that tree over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did God tell them not to eat from that tree? Was that tree by itself evil? We don't know. What we know is this. God said don't go there, so they were told not to. And we do know that Satan slithered into the garden as a, as a serpent and deceived them and made them think that there was something good that they would have if they ate from that tree and God was holding something back from them. God was withholding something good. But you know the truth? There is nothing good that goes beyond a personal relationship with God. There are things that God can give us that we can greatly enjoy, but there is nothing greater that God could possibly give us more than himself. The relationship that we have with God is the fulfillment and purpose of our life. And what happened when they sin, God in his holiness cannot tolerate sin. So he cast them out of the garden, he put cherubim, these angelic beings at the gates so they could not get back in the garden and human beings have been a train wreck ever since. I don't know about you, but I'm a train wreck. You know, Paul says in the the scriptures that I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. I don't know about you, but that explains my last week. I struggle. I make a to-do list I never get to. I say things I shouldn't say. I don't say things that I should say. I wonder, why is not is life not all that it could be? And then I'm reminded when I go back to the Scriptures, my life and your life is here for one purpose, and that purpose is to have an eternal relationship with the God who loves you and the God who created you. See, God cast them out of the garden, but He did not do that without hope. Even though He punished them, even though we're under a curse, God told them this. One day there will come a seed from the woman who will crush the head of the serpent and will make a way from death to life. We understand the seed of the woman, that human being who's fully God and fully man, to be Jesus Christ. But here's the deal, before Jesus comes, God decides as we walk through the Old Testament, before a savior comes, he's going to set aside a holy nation unto himself, and through that nation's where the savior's going to come, and through that holy nation the world is going to get a chance to see what God is really like. And that nation is Israel. God called these people unto himself not to play favorites, He said to Abraham that he was going to take his descendants and make them as numerous as the stars in the sky, but that through his descendants, all nations of the earth would be blessed. So when we read the Old Testament and we think of the nation of Israel, Israel was supposed to live holy and supposed to live perfect. And we were supposed to look at Israel and know that there's a God and that God exists. And one of the things that God did in drawing close to the nation of Israel is he created what's called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a way that God could walk with the Israelites in the wilderness and be close to them. And when he created this tabernacle, here's what he did, all right? He created several rooms in the tabernacle. There was this outer court uh, where the Jews could gather. Then there was the holy place. You'd walk past a curtain into a certain room, and it was only the Levitical priests that could go in there. But if you went even further past this big curtain into what's called the holy of holies, that is where the manifested presence of God was. And you could only go, only the high priest could go in there, and he could only go in there one day a year, and he went there for the Day of Atonement. Today, Jews would call that Yom Kippur, and he went in there to atone for the sins of the people. So God was close to his people, but that curtain that only the high priest could go behind was proof that sin still separated human beings from God. We could not walk directly up to God and have direct access to him as much as he loves us because he is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin. So after the Israelites walk through the wilderness for 40 years and Moses dies and Joshua comes and they finally go into the land of milk and honey, eventually one day Solomon builds this temple and it was knocked down and rebuilt again and the temple was made to look like the tabernacle. So when we talk about the curtain, the curtain was once again put in place. When you think of curtain, think of separation, God on one side, man on the other. Man could not enter past that curtain because of sin. Only the high priest, only once a year, and only to atone for the sins of mankind. So God was close to us, He was close to His people, but yet that curtain reminded us there's always a separation between God and man. That's number one, the curtain, separation of God and man. And man. Let's think about number two, the Christ incarnation of God and man. So, what did God decide to do? There's this curtain that separates God from man, and if God did not intervene, if God did not decide to do something, that curtain would separate us from God forever. So, if there's a separation between God and man, There needs to be someone who comes down to the earth who is both God and man, who can bridge the gap between human beings who are sinful and a God who is holy. And the person that does that is Jesus Christ. The incarnation, that word incarnation, don't let it trip you up. It just means to take on human flesh. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God represented in three persons. How does that work? Guess what? It's a great mystery. And if you have someone that says to you, I have a perfect explanation of how this works, you better run the other way. Because I guarantee you they got oceanfront property in Arizona somewhere. (laughs) Do not listen to them. And they're the same people, by the way, who know exactly how the world's going to end, what day and what time. Run the other way. It is a mystery, and it's best left a mystery. But here's what we know, even in the mystery Jesus is God. And he lived from eternity past to eternity present and eternity future. He's always existed. However, he decided in a moment in time and space to take on human flesh. We learn in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that he decided to be conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a Jewish virgin woman named Mary. And he became a human being. I tell people, he took on one of our monkey suits and acted like one of us, yet without being a monkey. (laughs) Yet without sin yet with with perfection from beginning to end. Jesus Christ became one of us in every way, yet He never had a sinful thought. He never spoke a sinful word. He never had a sinful deed. Perfection in every way. Jesus fully God. Jesus fully man. Why is this important? Here's why. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a very liberal part of the country in Philadelphia. And some of my best friends growing up, one was Jewish, I had friends that were Muslim, I had friends that were Buddhist, I had friends that were atheist, I had friends that were fill in the blank. On every street corner there was different places of worship, and so I was led to believe growing up that there was one God, but there was many, many, many different ways you could get to God. In fact, some, I would guarantee if we took a poll, some of you in the room right now would believe that, and if you do, I'm not here to condemn you because no one condemned me when I believed that. They gave me room to grow and room to learn. But here's what I want to say. Here's why when the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only way to have an eternal relationship with God, there is no other religious figure in human history who's both God and man. In fact, there's many men who claim to be God, but there's only one God who claimed to be a man, and that's Jesus Christ. He says... I and the Father are one and the same, and no one gets to the Father but by me. Why is it that Jesus is the only way? Here's the reason why. If there's a separation between God and man, the only one who can bring God and man back together is someone who has a hand and a foot in both universes. And that's what Jesus does when he comes and takes on flesh. He is God reaching down to mankind, but he's also mankind reaching up to God. So it's the hand of God and the hand of man that are reunited and that reunion takes place on the cross. It's the only way that mankind could be forgiven and that curtain that separates us could be torn in two. And why is the the curtain torn in two? Two main reasons. Number one, Jesus had to live perfect the way that we should have lived. And number two, Jesus had to die sacrificially the death that we deserved. All right, first, for 33 years, again, I said before, Jesus did not sin, so he earned our perfection. He did everything we should have done. He thought everything that we should say. He acted in every way that we should act so that when he died, we actually get credit for everything he did right. And when he died on the cross, he took on the punishment for everything that we've done wrong. We call that the great exchange. He took our sins, He gives us His perfect record, His righteousness, and we respond in repentance and faith. That is Jesus who came. That is Jesus who is God and man. That is Jesus who claims the only way to God is through Him. And He finally accomplishes this, number three, on the cross. So we've said the curtain is separation of God and man. The Christ is the incarnation of God and man. Number three, the cross is the restoration of God and man. All right, the restoration of God and man. So we think about the cross, all right? We talk about this on Good Friday. I want you to picture this. Jesus is hanging on a cross. And we always say he's hanging on the cross for our salvation. But what is taking place on the cross? Why is it he has to hang there for hour after hour? And why is he crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Many of us may think it's because of the agony and the physical pain that he's experiencing. And that's part of it, but that's not the big picture. All right? There are many men who valiantly went to death without shedding a tear, men who were thrown into the Colosseum and, and eaten by wolves or, or lions, men who had been crucified and done so, keeping silent, and Jesus being the strongest of all men who ever lived, certainly the physical pain was part of it, but why was he really crying out? Jesus was crying out because the wrath of God was being poured out on him wave after wave after wave. For those that were here on Thursday night for our Monday, Thursday service, we said that in the garden of Gethsemane on Thursday night, before he went to the cross on Friday, it says there is a moment where he began to be greatly troubled. That means there was a moment where God the Father, who loved him from eternity past, there was a moment where God the Father turned his back on his only son. And he did that so that he could treat his child, Jesus Christ, as an object of wrath and pour out his judgment and pour out his anger and pour out his wrath. So, what's happening on the cross as Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because spiritually, in a way that we can't see with human eyes, he's taking on waves of our punishment. You know, he's taking our beating over and over, hour after hour, for all of our sins past present and future until finally he drank the last drop of God's wrath and he said it is finished and when he said it is finished and he commended his spirit to God we see what happens here in this passage verse 51 says and behold the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom now here's the key Don't miss this. First, that curtain against the separation between God and man. And when Jesus lives perfectly and dies sacrificially and eventually three days later rises from the dead, He makes a way from death to life where mankind and God can be reunited again. But the key there is that the curtain was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top, which means there is no high priest with human effort who could make a way from us to God. God had to be the one from top to bottom to tear the curtain in two and say, come to me, I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me forever. And it happened on the cross through Jesus Christ. He took on the wrath of God and offered us a relationship with God by tearing the curtain in two and taking the separation because of sin and bringing us back together because of His perfect righteousness. And that is what we celebrate on Easter. He did all that on Friday, and on Sunday morning, He put an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. He comes out of the tomb, and He shows us that He has made a way from death to life that whoever would put their faith in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now as we draw to a close, I want to talk about this in two different aspects. I do want to talk about our eternal salvation, but I do want to talk today also about our day-to-day life. So let me say for a word about our eternal salvation because the curtain has been torn. Because the curtain has been torn, you have an opportunity, you have an invitation to live eternally in the presence of God And that means when you physically die and your spirit separates from your body and you are ushered into the complete unfiltered presence of God, you will have unspeakable joy knowing that at your day of judgment you will be declared innocent because of what Jesus did on your behalf. If you do not know Jesus, if your life does not belong to Jesus, here's what happens. When you die, you will stand before God, but you will have to give an account for your sins because your sins were not paid for on that cross. And if you're not willing to accept the payment that Jesus made on your behalf, you will have to make the payment yourself. And that payment comes with an eternal separation from God in hell forever. But for those who've put their faith in him, there is no more fear of of judgment The Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means that death is actually a celebration. You're ushered into your eternal reward and you can experience the joy of being with God forever. I pray if you have never bent your knee and confessed with your tongue that Christ is Lord, that you would do so today. That you would know the joy of having all of your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross and that you would have eternal life. But let me say a second word. I believe many of you in this room would tell me that you're a Christian, and only God knows, okay? Only God knows a man's heart. But what I would say is this. If you are a Christian, that curtain has been torn, which means God has offered you an opportunity to have an eternal relationship with him that starts right now. It starts right now. Some of you are going through some of the most difficult things right now and you're trying to do it on your own. Some of you are seeking happiness and joy and fulfillment in places that no one can give you except for God. I know because I've tried. I have tried to fill my heart with everything but God. And I can tell you, only God can fill the gap in your heart because your heart was not created for you. It was created for God. So if you're a believer... And you have already given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer for you today is this that you would ponder the curtain. You would think about all that God went through to tear that curtain from top to bottom, that you could willingly and lovingly approach Him and say, God, I want more of you. I want more of you in my marriage. I want more of you with my children. I want more of you. In the workplace, I want to think about you when I'm sitting at the the computer. I want to think about you when I'm out at the job site. I want you to give me strength when I'm dealing with these very difficult people in my life. I want you to give me patience. I want you to give me the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God, I need these things in my life and I desperately want you to give them to me. And I need this relationship with you. I believe God wants everyone in this room to draw close to him in a very special way. The book of James says, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. Maybe it's been a long time since you've drawn close to him. Maybe today is a day to remember the curtain that you can draw as close as you want to because the curtain's been torn. Now, I, I, I will say this. We live in what's called the already and the not yet. I do, I do admit this. There is an intimacy with God that we will not experience the full fulfillment of that until we are with Him in His heavenly kingdom forever. But that does not mean we need to wait to heaven to have a relationship with God now. God wants us to be close to Him. He wants us to to draw to Him in in a mighty and special way. When you think of the the, the, the torn curtain, here's what I want us to think as we draw to a close. First, we no longer need to rely on a priest. Okay, In the Old Testament, a priest had to go behind the curtain for us and atone for us. And guess what? Jesus is our high priest. You do not need a human being to go to God on your behalf. You can go straight to God wherever you are at any time in the name of Jesus. And I need to tell you that because guess what? I'm a pastor, but I have no direct access to God more than you do. When people ask me to pray, it's my honor to pray. And I feel as a shepherd, it's, it's, it's my calling to pray for the people. But can I tell you this? I don't have any more of a direct line to God than you do. Right where you are right now, you can call out to God. You can pray directly to the Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Spirit. That's amazing. The Israelites would have loved to live long enough to see that. They needed a priest to go on their behalf to make atonement for their sins. But Jesus has taken care of it all. We go right to God In the name of Jesus. We also have no more fear of our eternal destiny. People who don't know Jesus, they have a right to fear death. Let me tell you a secret. In my short time as a pastor, I have been in many hospice rooms. I've been in the hospice rooms of people who know Jesus. And I've been in the hospice rooms of people who don't know Jesus. And I can tell when the Spirit of God is working in a person's life. Because there are people who are scared and have a right to be scared because eternity hangs in the balance and they don't know it. And then I've been in the room with people who say, you know what, I prayed for God to heal me, and he's going to heal me, but he's going to heal me on the other side of heaven. I'm getting ready to enter into eternal glory. And even in the midst of pain, there's joy in the life of someone who knows God. The curtain's been torn, so they have an opportunity to experience that joy. And then finally, we no longer have to worry about our purpose here on life right now. Uh, You know, I'm 37 years old. I came to salvation in Christ 10 years ago at age 27. And my 20s were a time where I doubted my purpose in life almost every day. I did everything I ever wanted to do working as a professional sports caster. I, I got a chance to work at ESPN and travel the country and it was everything I ever wanted to do and actually it's what God used to lead me to salvation because I was so miserable I did not want to live anymore. I did not want to live anymore because I thought if this is all it is, if I've gone after exactly what I thought would make me happy and it hasn't made me happy, then what am I doing here? Why am I on this earth? So my prayer for all of you is that you would know that you are on this earth primarily because God loves you more than I could put into words and He's calling you to have a relationship with Him. God wants to have something with you that you can't have with anybody else. And He's calling you. He's calling you from the cross. And He's calling you from the empty tomb. And He's calling you to see the curtain that's been torn. So my closing words would be this. In one sentence, as we draw to a close, I would just say, on the cross, Christ was torn for us so that the curtain could be torn between us. So if Christ died, did all this for you, what is your response to Him? You know, a lot of people say that Jesus is the curtain because He's the one that stood between God and man. And He had to be torn before the curtain could be torn. So if Jesus was torn Himself, so that the curtain could be torn between you and God, my question is, what is your response? If you do not know Jesus, even if you know who He is up here, and maybe at some point in your life you prayed a prayer to receive Him as Christ, but you know in your heart this has never changed. Your life never changed. What I would say to you is, let the day of resurrection be a personal resurrection in your life give your life to Jesus. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not just acknowledging with your mind. Even the the demons know who Jesus is. It is a heart that belongs to God in a personal relationship that lasts forever. And for those of you in this room who are believers, Draw closer to God than you've ever drawn to Him before. Let this be a new season. We talked about the spring. Dead things come to life. We celebrate this beautiful season. People are out on their hands and knees planting the new garden for the spring. You're thinking about all that's coming up in the summertime. You're making plans for the beach and all these beautiful things and you celebrate those. Let this be a season where you draw closer to God than you've ever drawn to Him before. You draw close to Him through reading His Word. You draw close to Him through prayer and prayer in every situation. Pray to him when you're in the traffic jam. Pray to him when you're in the argument with your neighbor or friend. Pray to him when you're at the ballpark. Pray to him when you want to say something to the umpire you know would not honor him. (laughs) And pray for the umpire when he wants to respond to you in a way that would not honor him. But pray and seek and know that he loves you and know that this Easter, we often think of a cross and we think of an empty tomb. But I want us all to leave here today and think of a torn curtain. What it separated us because of sin has been removed because of Jesus. And we have a chance to have a relationship with Him if we will draw near to Him because He's drawn near to us. Let us pray. Father, Father, what I... Speak of from your word for all of us, I say to myself as well, Father, would you help me? Would you help us? Would you show us the things in our life right now that are separating us from more of you? What do we have to let go of, Father, to grab on to more of you? Whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would make it known to us today, that we would make it right with you today. For those that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that mercy would rain down upon them and they would respond in repentance and faith. And for those in this room that are carrying all the burdens of the world right now who do know you but do not have a closeness with you, Father, let them draw close to you that you would draw close to them. Be with us in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen.